time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. That's an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. And last but not morning, least... Henry. East Village Magazine Hi. editor Jan Worth Nelson. Hi, Jan. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Jan, my favorite. <laughs> morning, Jan. Good morning. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, we always start with a few quotes, and the first one is the finish the quote feature fashioned after Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. We open armchair politics with Finish the Quote. How would you finish this quote? In politics, the middle way is what? Is a losing platform. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you uh, might be right. What was what was the uh, what was the name of that that program U of M used to do? But dead skunks in the middle of the road, or something like that. <laughs> oh, roadkill, roadkill politics. Roadkill politics. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the real road is roadkill. It it actually it actually moved from uh, from cable to public uh, television. Yeah. Uh, interestingly yeah. enough. Um, the original quote was, in politics, the middle way is none at all. Oh, well, yeah. 
Who, mm. do, you, who do you think said that? Um, mm. uh, Kennedy. No, you'll, you'll, you'll never guess it, and uh, it's not fair to put you on the spot like that. It was John Adams. Oh, oh, wow. oh, wow. oh wow. <laughs> well, John Adams. Uh, John Adams always had good views on <laughs> life and politics. That goes way back. Now, way back. Now, who hmm. do you, who do you think said this this past week? Do you seriously wonder, Mr. President, why this is the first time in decades that America has seen this level of violence? Uh, uh, Gretchen Woodmer. Or how about Mr. Blake, the father? No, oh. it was uh, the Democratic mayor of Portland, Oregon, Ted oh, Wheeler, oh, yeah, said yeah. Sunday it is President Donald Trump who, quote, created the hate in an unyielding attack on the White House following a shooting at a protest that left one person dead. His forceful comments come one day after a person was shot and killed in downtown Portland after an evening of violent clashes between Trump supporters and protesters denouncing police brutality. Um, does the president uh, shoulder the blame for violent rhetoric turning violent? No, I don't think so. I think it's within a, <clears throat> our uh, DNA right now. It's always been there. He exposed it. He further well, exposed it because we would have gone on for years and. Wait, Henry. He, well, we could have gone on for years and this would have never been exposed. We would have why, lived. And why aren't huh? why aren't why aren't the Democrats doing that then? Are we less evolved or more evolved or? Well, I'm not saying it's. Um, <clears throat> I'm not charging Democrats or Republicans. This was something that no. existed. Well, hey, Henry, you're, you're right in one sense. I mean, the, the rhetoric does bring this stuff out. It may have been there for a long time, but, I mean, the rhetoric does encourage people to come out and do things publicly they may have been just thinking about before. Yeah, but and Donald Trump should, he should the fact that temper. He, he almost celebrated some of the things. He was, he was uh, tweeting, he was tweeting, they're great patriots. Um, he um, defended the murder of the two people in Kenosha, um, I think, you know, he said and from time to time, he said, I'll pay your legal fees if you, you know, if you get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I, I, um, I feel that he does bear responsibility, Henry, and I'll do respect. I, well, there I are some, there, there are some, Jan, who say that the, uh, uh, that the president pours uh, gasoline on the fire, but I, I'm I'm gonna side a little bit with with Henry, in that I think we saw some of this stuff starting to bubble up even after the election of Barack Obama. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I, I think in that respect, I think Henry's right when he says, you know, there 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 were these tensions that were just sort of beneath the surface. And, and we saw some, some pretty negative response to the election of Barack Obama. And, uh, and, and some would say that, that this president, Donald Trump, um, mm -hmm. has a way of uh, 
sort of fanning the flames a little bit. Um, but yeah. let's let's move on to the next quote. If the left, uh, who said this? If the left gains power, they will de- uh, demolish the suburbs, confiscate your guns, and appoint justices who will wipe away your Second Amendment and other constitutional freedoms. Trump. It was. Trump. It, it yeah. was. Or, or was it Pence when he was in Michigan? No, it was President Donald Trump heading into oh, okay. a fall re-election campaign in which he is currently seen as the underdog, delivered a dark, foreboding nomination speech from the White House on Thursday night saying, if his Democratic opponent Joe Biden is elected, no one will be safe. Um and, and and it raises a, uh, a number of questions. Uh, the first one, uh, dealing directly with the quote, is, is the left too tolerant of protests that have become lawless and even violent? I would say yes. And they're responsible for the survival of the country and its government. And there are certain things, some issues they need to stand up for because they're the right things to stand up to preserve the union. And the way we're going now is not a good, is not a good way. And actually, Biden has taken a stand against that already. He's, he's made a speech within the last day or two to that effect. But, uh, yeah, you certainly need to speak out against that. Because my feeling is that many of those violent activities just generate more support for Trump. So in terms of the election... I think, yeah, Democrats need to take a stand, and they have uh, already. In this particular story, uh, CNN characterized the president as, um, how did they, uh, uh, how did they phrase it, Um, who is currently seen as the underdog. Um, That that might be... uh, that might be welcome news to Biden supporters and, and people on the left, but um, I, I, I caution people a little bit that he was considered the underdog in 2016, too. I'm not trusting any... I agree with that. In fact, I hear all these, all these strong polls for, for, for Biden. I, I say, be cautious, because we heard the same thing in 16, and the last thing Democrats need to do is to be overconfident this year. That's right. I mean, it seems like the struggle is what to do that's constructive in the face of these protests. Like, it's very frustrating to see it just polarized again to who are the bad guys and who are the good guys here, instead of saying, this society has some stuff they have to, we, we need to be addressing. And mm-hmm. um, what, what bothers me is the way that the protesters have gotten po- have gotten polarized and I think um, the the Republicans are trying, and, and Trump's folks are trying to uh, make them look, ex- make them look like the extremists and the criminals, uh, when in fact we're trying to grapple with something pretty central to American society right now. Uh, it can't be us versus them. All I mean, if that's what it comes True. down to, um, we're really failing with an opportunity that we have here. So I mean, I think the Democrats. Uh, are are struggling to try to find a way to uh, counter Trump's uh, aggravations, but also to be constructive. And uh, certainly the way it's going isn't the path of healing or the path of change, in my view. Um, I, you know, it can't be all about protests. Protests, endless protests are, aren't yeah. going to change anything, I don't think, that's over a good, the that's long a good haul. Point. 
Good point, Jan. In fact, my, my thought has been that at some point, I mean, these protests are interesting and they're worthwhile and they raise a lot of issues, but sooner or later, we've got to have some real policy to reform the police and reach a yeah. lot of other similar goals. Right. Right. We have to move from the, to the boardrooms in a way. We have to move from the street to the town halls. We have to move from the street to the legislature. Yeah, um, so exactly. it's just, it, or at the very least, Jan, the conference table. Uh, the conference table, for guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, Dan, how do you how do you do that, Dan, in a time when we're so divided? We're divided in every well, way possible. It who, would help who will make the first step? Because we're in we have drawn lines in the sand. Who will make the first step? I know. Well, ideally a president could start it. I mean, ideally a president could help establish a tone of, hey, we've got some problems here. Um, instead of putting them down and saying we're going to start investigations of the BLM people and put, I'm going to put Attorney General Barr on the case, you know, what if, what if there was, as with the pandemic, what if somebody said, this is a big problem, I'm going to bring the best possible people to this, we're going to get together, we're going to find a way to uh, acknowledge all the points of view, all the fears, all the angers, and we're going to... Um, I, I mean, I think it, in my view, it has to it has to be propelled from the top. This whole movement has started from the grassroots, I think, and um, there's broad there's broad sympathy with it. Um, but what for it to move, I think somebody at the top has to uh, has to take some initiative, in my view. What if we're not as good analogy? What if we're not as divided as we think we are? What if it's good guys versus good guys? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> no, you, you can take a look at a lot of issues, and there's a lot more unity than, than sometimes is portrayed uh, on the national level on and, many issues. I mean, clearly and, there's some divisions there, and clearly the the parties tend to feed into that, unfortunately. And, I, I'll go back to one other thing. The way we elect people tends to force people into being liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans, and if you work in the middle, to go back to your earlier quote, you're seen as a traitor to your party. Unfortunately, yeah. that's that's often the case. Well, that's and this true. is where the president, I think, is his own worst enemy. Because as I was framing that thought of good guys versus good guys, I thought, boy, that sounds eerily like what Donald Trump said in the wake of the Charlottesville uh, struggle Um, and and he was he was saying there are good people on both sides and and people read that as being you know completely supportive of people who came in that were disruptive and I I'm not sure that that wasn't that that he wasn't trying to say what if this is good versus good you know how how can we find the things that are in common but but he never gets to that part of it he says something and it ends yeah. up being inflammatory and then he doubles um, down on it that's a painful anal- that's a painful example to bring up in my view because that whole situation of those those men in sh- th- those men with their torches marching yeah. through the city i uh i mean that's you know saying jews will not replace us and stuff like that it's that's a painful example if that's what we have if that's where we have to go to say you know there's good people on both sides that's a 
one. Could we have a little bit? Could we have a different? I'm sure example? we can find. I'm sure we can find a better example, a better analogy, a better metaphor. But but the the point was that Trump very often makes it worse rather than try, than making it better. We have to take a break here. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artist who made them famous. You're thrilled to Society's Child by Janice Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkees. What have they done to the rain by the Searchers? In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley. Silent Night, 7 o'clock news by Simon and Garfunkel. And who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. 
Yes, this is a collector's dream. Gold and protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well, it's time for my boot heels to be wandering, but here's something that'll tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order, plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70KSouthbendindiana.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues uh, with our weekly roundtable uh, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined this week by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. And Jan, I kind of cut you off there at the uh, end of the last segment, um, and I just wanted to underscore my thought that... Uh, that, that you were right in pointing out that that was uh, not the best example to make the point I was trying to make. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I think I, I think I had my say on that point. All right, fair enough. Um, well, let's, let's move on then. Um, nine Flint residents will serve on the recently created Community Advisory Task Force to the Flint Police Department. The group is being chaired by Pastor Jeffrey Hawkins of Prince of Peace Church and has a diverse group of members, including some who have been uh, working towards social justice for decades and others who are new to the fight. The Community Advisory Task Force was one in a series of actions taken by the city of Flint in response to the tragic death of George Floyd. Created by Mayor Sheldon Neely, the task force creates the seat at the table that residents had been seeking. Um, and and uh, I will add that uh, since that story posted, uh, Eric Mays has come out and said he didn't think that the selection of the members of the panel was uh, proper according to the city charter. But my question is, is a more overall question. Is there really a need for this? Hmm. Mm. Uh, I didn't think so. I, I, frankly, I didn't think so. I think that that's that's uh, creating more uh, drama around that situation than needs to. I was going to say, you know, go ahead, Henry. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was going to let that go. All right. Um, I I thought that the formation of it was a bit random. I mean, from the from an outsider's point of view. Um, like I wasn't sure. I guess Jeffrey Hawkins was who picked those people, is what our story said. Uh, and I was wondering what the criteria were. I'm not objecting. I I know a number of the people on that group, and there's some wonderful people on there. But I wasn't clear on how they were picked and what their uh, mission or what their um, you know mandate will be. Uh, so it felt like it was thrown together. Uh, this is a, a judgmental phrase, but it felt it felt a little bit like it was thrown together rather fast. Um, I know Pastor Hawkins is a is a great guy, and and I believe lost a son to gun violence, didn't he? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, so I'm. Uh, it, yeah, I I think it's worth asking. This is a serious issue, so I, I appreciate the mayor's attempt to address it in some way i'm just not sure um how but i don't think that we go ahead 
No, I, 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 that's about what I had to say, I think. I but I don't think that, that we should wallow. Go ahead. I'm, I was going to say that, that Flint's been very lucky so far, and I said with my fingers crossed, that we haven't had any of those incidents that have set off these angry demonstrations, et cetera, around the country. I mean, so far, so good. Who knows? But we have yeah. been surprisingly rather lucky in that regard. And yeah. I thought we yeah. had already addressed this uh, this idea of of citizen oversight <laughs> of the police department, and and some cities have you know a police commission and so on. But um, I thought we addressed that in the charter revision with the um, uh, yeah, continuing to to be established citizens advisory uh, panel and um, the ombudsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and what is going on with the ombudsman? Where where is she in that? Uh, one would think that she should have she should be uh, in a She's in a leadership, something like that, or in that certainly yeah. in that group. Yeah, or at least yeah, coming or at least coming mm-hmm. out and and stating some some position or policy with regard to uh, the police department and and these types of acts. We've been fortunate in Flint that we haven't had an episode like the the George Floyd killing or the more recent mm-hmm. one um in uh, right. Kenosha and oh. it's um it, it so there really isn't there really aren't events to react to so maybe something proactive like coming out and and pointing that fact out and saying but we have citizen oversight should that ever happen, and sort of putting police on notice that, you know, that citizens are watching and, and you know, playing that sort of a role. But I think right. Yeah, that was point, my point. It ought to be coordinated in some way with the ombudsman's office. Maybe the ombudsman should be part of the part of the panel, maybe ex officio in some way, but there should be some kind of connection, I would think, between those two groups. Right, and, um, right. That's my point. That's my point. It just seems like another. It just seems like another layer, and 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 one that may be uh, a little bit superfluous in the in the fact that we we already address this issue in some some very detailed and and uh, involved uh, community conversations in the development of our new charter. Right. Oh, that charter! That charter. <laughs> it's about oh, time we got back to that. Yes, we are back to the charter. I know. I know. Yeah. Hmm. I, you know, the mayor's office. I think most of us that keep track of these things are sort of observing the evolution of the mayor Neely administration and how it's different from Karen Weaver's. And you know, they're issuing a whole lot of press of press releases. Every day, you know, they're holding like one or two or three press conferences a week, and you get these, you know, as a as a community journalist, it's a little uh, hard to keep up with. Like every day, we get we get these emails in the morning saying we're having a press re- we're having a press conference this afternoon, and so we, you know, somebody has to rush over there or get on Zoom or something to find out what's the next thing. It seems like they're they're very fast to be doing things. And and uh, I and I think that's out of the mayor's sincere intention to be um, both transparent and proactive. And I think he likes to be seen as when something comes up, he does something about it right away. But in this particular case, 
um, with this citizens advisory group um, it seems like he should have come out and said you know we're fortunate I mean he could have held the press conference he could have responded and and just simply said um, we're fortunate in Flint that we haven't had a big high-profile uh, police brutality case um, however um, our, our citizens built into our charter a way to stay on top of these things should they come up there's a method in place we are already prepared um, in, instead of uh, creating another layer right right yeah, uh, the point I wanted to make was that uh, we, we hear all of this negative stuff going on around the country and those events are somewhat behind us and we've had a lot of press uh, explaining and uh, making uh, restitution for all the things that happened. We've had police departments change, some fire, some defunded, stuff like that. Now we need to start putting something positive together. What do we look around our country and talk about some of the positive things that are now happening that these kind of episodes have generated? We need to move, move from here because people want to get out of the stagnation that we're in right now. It just leads to more and more unrest. Yeah. Well, here's where Are I you? get to tie Henry's comment to um, Jan's comment a moment ago about all the uh, press conferences and press releases and something turning positive. In another one of those uh, press releases, uh, Jan, the city announced that... Uh, it delivered a load of 384 guns to an incineration mm. facility following up on an initiative announced in late July by Mayor Sheldon Neely. The city announced the disposal delivery in a news release yesterday, diverting the weapons from auctions where they had been sold previously. Tuesday was the first day uh, for um, New Flint Police Chief uh, Terrence Green um, and uh, on July 29th, Hart and Neely had announced, uh, and, and Green is replacing Phil Hart as chief, Hart and Neely had announced their plans to no longer auction confiscated guns, part of a program that's aimed at reversing Flint's increasing violent crime rate. Um, can, can this move, destroying these guns and, and no longer selling them at, at auction, um, can this be effective in reducing gun violence in Flint? I think there's some, um, and I think Flint Beat has done some research on this. I think that's questionable. I think there's some data that suggests that um, it does, you know, that it doesn't necessarily reduce crime. I think it's a really good symbol. I think it's a symbol. Yeah, I, I agree, Jan. It's more symbolic, or it's, it's a good PR move for the mayor in many ways. But in terms of the sheer number of guns out there it's probably not going to make any huge material difference, I suspect. But again, right. you got to remember. Go ahead, Henry. I mean, I mean, I'm willing to give him some credit credits on this, yeah. you know. I thought yeah. it was a nice year for Terrence Green's first day as police chief. Um, you know, we, it, we could all benefit from having fewer guns, it seems to me. And, um, and you know, and um, Sheldon Neely's quotes, he, he likes to make these, you know, positive quotes about how much is a life worth and, you know, stuff like that. That's good. That's good PR. And it's, I'd rather have that kind of quote coming from the mayor than something inflammatory and, and divisive. So 
I'm, j- I'm not sure if it's going to actually reduce it, but it's, a, I don't know, as a, as a writer who likes metaphors and symbols a lot of times, I do think that symbolic gestures have some power. You know, it's, it's yeah, why we're arguing over Confederate statues and stuff like that. It's, um, so I say, yeah. I say, yeah, it's a good point. Well, well there, there are people, whether we reduce violence, it's in the heart of people. Guns don't kill people. It's got to be in a, the, the arm, the possession of a person who wishes to do harm to someone else, either through vengeance or through hate or some other means. But this won't do it. Okay, let's guns make it so much easier to do it. Unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> I, the, I I couldn't I couldn't help thinking. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, guns don't kill people. People kill people. So why give people guns? Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just just a thought that you know I don't think it's going to be a bumper sticker or anything. Um, no. The county has received one point two million dollars for operating the city lockup, but there's no new contract yet to continue the arrangement in the long term. Uh, Major David Stam of the Genesee County Sheriff's Department told the County Board of Commissioners of the payment during meetings last week and said Monday that he expects discussions about the future of the facility, which was closed because of COVID-19 restrictions, will start after New Flint Police Chief Terrence Green moves into his position or moved into his position yesterday. Stam said the city helped the county collect the money for the lockup from the state by facilitating its release even though the contract between the city and county for operating the lockup expired a year ago and no replacement contract has been signed. A city spokesman has said Flint officials are looking into the potential of running the holding facility themselves once it reopens. Should the Flint lockup be run by Flint? Should the Flint lockup be run by Flint? Hmm. It has been operated by well, the Genesee County uh, uh, jail staff. Yeah, you know, what, what strikes me about what you're saying there is that this kind of underlies the friction between the city of Flint and the county that underlies so many other operations. I mean, I'm not sure where the real answer is for the lockup, but I think one of the, the frustrating things about Genesee County and Flint is that they have not worked together very well compared to other counties and major cities. I mean, compared to an Oakland County and Pontiac, we have not done a particularly good job about coordinating the city and the, and the out county. Well, and I'm not sure that there is a lot of study on what happens if you make if you transition from one system to the other. There must be country. Uh, there must be places around the United States that already has this in practice, or. or maybe knows more about it than we do. They know the ins and outs and the rights and wrongs and so on and so forth. There's a history. There's a story to tell by these individuals. So what we need to do is to take a look, send a survey team out or invite a spokesman to come in and talk to us and advise us. Yeah. I'm just saying the friction between the county and the city undermines the effectiveness of a lot of policies, unfortunately. And I think part of it is... Part of its race, part of its economics, uh, at least those two big things, maybe a few others as well. Well, Genesee County government officials are suggesting the city of Flint reduce the number of voting precincts to help it better manage future elections. 
Speaking to the County Board of Commissioners Wednesday, Election Supervisor Doreen Fulcher and Clerk John Gleason offered the advice just days after Fulcher wrote to Flint Clerk Inez Brown detailing what she called failures and deficiencies in the city's handling of absentee ballots during the August 4th primary election. Is this a good idea? Oh, this whole situation with Fulcher and Gleason and Inez Brown, the city clerk, is so messy. Um, I I don't know that that particular strategy is a good one, um, but there are problems in the city clerk's office. And how, and I think, as you know, um, uh, Paul has been writing about it in his columns, and uh, Tom Travis has been writing stories about it. Uh, I'm, I personally don't think that reducing the number of precincts is the way to go, but uh, personally, I think some, some scrutiny and some practical assistance for the clerk's procedures um, is <clears throat> called for, definitely. Yeah, my, my well, I think that you're going to get. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say that maybe in terms of precincts, maybe we should not reduce them yet. Maybe at some point where we have a clear picture of the long-term fact of how many folks will keep voting absentee. Is this a temporary thing, or is this going to be a forever kind of deal? But I would yeah. say don't do it yet. Maybe a couple of years from now, when we get a clearer picture no. of how many people will stay absentee, maybe then we do it. Okay, Henry, go ahead. No, no, I see this, uh, what... Uh, Democrats often would call voter suppression. If you close those precincts, people are going to scream. Yeah. And that's going to be a, a, a kind of voter suppression. I'm against it. Uh, whether it's done by political parties or whether it's done by institutions to save money or to do other things. Yeah. I mean, um, so Inez Brown has been the target of a lot of criticism in the, in the city clerk's office and scrutiny. You know, the ACLU and the group of five Flint residents, um, you know, took her to court basically to um, try to prod things into working better. Um, but I'm with Henry. I, I, I don't think this is the year to reduce access to right. voting. Right. But, but what's, what's going on here between you know, Gleason's office and Inez Brown. I mean, there's all this fighting. You know, the pastors had a press conference defending her. But the issue is, are they? can they assure us that there's going to be reliable election procedures? I mean, I'm sure that Inez Brown is a wonderful person. She's, um, there's no doubt about that. But are there, in fact, problems that need to be addressed immediately? Or is there some other agenda that's being played out between Gleason and Inez Brown or something, I, you know, I can't, uh, in Flint, you just never know what's going on behind the scenes sometimes. Like, I mean, there's, it, there's been personal friction for, for some years between the two of them. Yeah, um, so is this, you know, I mean, is, uh, based on the ACLU lawsuit, I would say there's evidence that some change needs to happen in the mm-hmm. city clerk. And that's, that leaves Gleason out of it, if you look at it that way. You know, it's, that's not a Gleason-propelled thing, that's a ACLU propelled, but it's messy and it's ugly, and um, I just I just want to know that our votes are going to count and that they're going to be handled properly. And if 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 Inez Brown can't assure us of that, then we we have an issue, regardless of how wonderful she is and and how great her work has been in the many decades of her service to the city of Flint. Well, some volunteer help may be on the way. 
Yesterday was National Poll Worker Recruitment Day, <laughs> and a day on which the fledgling Poll Hero Project and its team of 70 volunteers set an ambitious goal of recruiting 5,000 young poll workers, according to um, A.V. Stopper of Chicago, a co-founder of the project. National statistics were not available yesterday, but I've already recruited six people on Tuesday alone, said Raman, who often uses uh, college athletic teams as her starting point for approaching young people on Instagram about joining Poll Hero. Since the project began earlier this summer, it has recruited close to 400 poll workers in Michigan and a few thousand around the U.S. Are there advantages to recruiting young people to work at the polls rather than the traditional seniors as in the past? During the pandemic, yeah, that's a, that's a big issue for, for, the poll, for to recruit poll workers during the pandemic. Seniors are have been bailing out, from what I've heard, uh, in, in increasing numbers for, out of fear of their own health. Yeah, yeah I, think I think the process will uh, self-rectify itself. There's nothing wrong with hiring young people. <clears throat> they can stand the long hours and, and the duress that they put up from uh, people who come in that are uneasy to get along with. And uh, But we, we don't want to throw out the elderly who has been doing a good job traditionally for many, many years. They have you know, been, but here is COVID-related, isn't it, partly? That the elderly so. don't want to be in yes. um, publicly. Yes, yeah, because they've be been identified as at risk. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like, everybody talks about how democracy has to be renewed one generation at a time, and boy, that's really evident this time around. It, um, um, like, I was so fascinated by what happened with the uh, uh, Kennedy Markey contest in Massachusetts yesterday, where it was yeah. young people who came out in force to um, <laughs> to vote for the pro- the more progressive of the two guys. I just right, thought that was right. cool. It's pretty interesting. Uh, and, a, and a little bit historic. Law. I don't think you've ever uh, seen the uh, headline Kennedy defeated. I know, yeah. I know, never. That's true. That's true. But, yeah. And again, guys, you've got to look at the influence and uh, that Ocasio has. She's a thinker. She can yeah. engage people. She can cross age boundaries. She can cross racial lines. And she can be as tough and unorthodox as she will, and people will follow her. Yes, they will. Are you and talking so, about... Uh, are you talking about... Uh, AOC, or are you talking okay. about Kamala Harris? He's talking no, about, I'm talking about AOC. AOC okay. was AOC. part of that campaign for Markey. Yeah, gotcha. AOC. Mm. Well, let's get these young folks. She said that this is not your age, it's the age of ideas. Right, wasn't that I, I thought that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a smart one. That's really. So let's get these young folks helping in the polls. Let's, yeah. you know, I think it's. We, boy, we need it because you know, you know, like Jan. Every year, I do kind of a workshop for the poll workers as they get get ready for the election, and they usually oh. fill the city hall chambers. And I, I don't have any numbers, but the overwhelming majority of folks who are there when I do that are seniors. So I, I mean, I clearly that that that's been a big issue. Are you doing it this year? Well, it's always uh, been not that I'm aware of. Nobody's called me yet, I, I, not even virtually. So, uh, so far as I know. 
I'm not aware that it's, it's happening this year. Well, and it's historically been seniors because those are people who are retired and they don't have to go right. to work on a weekday. Right. Um, and so, you know, now now work habits and, and daily life is a little different than it was in the 50s. Um, we have to take a break here, but uh, I want to talk just a little bit about the census when we come back. Um, oh, and, the forgotten census. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, we are going to take a short break, and then uh, Armchair Politics will return. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. 
they can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is sarsaparilla? U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Every week, uh, Paul sends me over an email on Tuesday with a few bullet points on things we might consider for today's discussion. And he had one on the list this week that was just not on my radar at all. And it was about a new push to make sure people respond to the census with the deadline approaching and pointing out the fact that Flint is lagging behind. And I had no idea that Flint specifically was lagging behind. What's the story, uh, Paul? Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I'm not sure we've got any current numbers, but uh, a few weeks ago, just barely half of Flint residents had responded, maybe a little more than half had responded. And, I mean, that means a huge amount for, for in terms of federal funds for the next decade. And Flint's not u- unique. I mean, I think other major cities are in a similar situation. But because of the, the COVID virus and maybe other factors, too, the the response to the census this year has been very lukewarm, and that's, that's going to have some really long-lasting effects on all kind of both state and local governments and gerrymandering and election districts and among other things so it's a huge huge impact but it's gotten lost in the shuffle with all the other turmoil going on this year well can they just copy the names off the flint registry (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that should work (laughs) no i'm kidding about that but i was but i was surprised um to see that because it, it seemed like there was a lot of attention given and some controversy to this year's oh, yeah. census. And um, it, it seemed like there was a lot of momentum going into it and, and a pretty good case being made. I remember somebody came to my door and I was able to say, you know, basically the uh, modern equivalent of I gave at the office, I mailed mine in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we 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 responded as soon as we got the got the notice in the mail. But uh, apparently, from the numbers that we're putting out there, a lot of areas are are really considering how long it's been going on. Uh, a lot of areas are lagging behind, 
And, I, and you're right, the city of Flint, uh, Burton, other local communities all had committees to encourage folks to respond. Uh, in fact, I've seen some yard signs along the highway within the last week or two in Flint encouraging you to respond to the census. But there's a lot of folks, a lot of folks holding back again because I think other other issues are driving it off the front page. And also, of course, there's the confusion about whether or not uh, it's going to be used for illegal immigrants and that kind of thing. That even though that question was taken off the census, the the image of that is still hanging over it for a lot of uh, a lot of households. Yeah, I mean, why do I keep getting the impression <clears throat> that the Trump administration would be just just fine with a lackluster res- result on the uh, census. I, I, this is another one, Henry. I'm sorry, I'm going to be crabby about this again, but I, I really wish that we had some powerful leadership that would say, "Hey, Americans, this really matters. You know, let's figure out a way to do this, even with the pandemic. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe there should be an extension of the time period instead of, excuse me, instead of." Um, Cutting back on the time, hasn't there been some movement to cut back on the on the time? Yeah, the, the, at least the, the current deadline is September 30th, I believe, and there's been an attempt to move it ahead to perhaps the end of October, maybe even November. I mean, it needs to be done by the end of the year, and that could, those could be kind of tight. But still, with the, with everything else being juggled around it's, with the the COVID virus, uh, there could be a good case to be made that at least another month or so would not be a terrible idea. Right, right. I mean. Like we could, this is a good issue that we could capture some sense of our of our common uh, our common benefits here. Uh, it would be a good opportunity to, but that doesn't seem to be the tone. Of, but but I, when I, as soon as I got mine, I spent five minutes and filled yeah, it out, thought, and it was gone. Five it's minutes uh, had no politics, had no adverse thoughts of what's wrong or right with it. It was just that it was my duty, like it is for every American yes. who live in this country, who have the freedom of speech and rights of movement and so on and so forth, yeah. can do. It's their responsibility. It's fundamental. It's just like eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. And you, if you've got to carry people, it means that they don't want to participate. Wow. My goodness. I know. But it's to really fight good. with them like that is, and they're teaching this to the next generation. Do you think maybe the, the, the census people, because of COVID, tried too hard to do it online and by mail and, and maybe held back <laughs> a little bit on the armies of people with clipboards we used to see in the streets uh, every 10 years? Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, that's probably I, I think that that, would, that that helped, but also that improved the system as well. For all of us who have computers and uh, technical equipment that can communicate with them, we do it quickly. And for those who have the document in front of them, it's a simple thing just to spend about 10 minutes and fill it out. That's an obligation yeah, for intelligent Americans, all yeah. who are about equally educated, and <clears throat> and nobody goes to bed hungry, relatively, uh, and it's easy to do. We just got to remove politics and anger and all of the other excuses and do it. Yeah, how, I know. How, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, how do we the, remove the anger and the politics? And 
you know, I, I think what, what comes down to in some ways is, is trust in general of so many institutions, and this is one more of them, where people just don't <laughs> trust any governmental institution anymore. And I think and to, to they, go ahead, Paul. Yeah. And, and, and they just toss it aside. Uh, above and beyond the internet connection issues and so forth, but I think that it's a, there's a lack of trust in so many so many traditional institutions that people are just f- either fearful or just skeptical about the whole process. Well, yeah, it's, it's that's the big you know going back to Flint itself. I had two things I wanted to say. One is what has happened with that local committee that was formed because I haven't heard anything from them. I don't know if I've just missed it. Or whatever, and I and I did, you know, Ted and I did send in our stuff too, like you guys did. But um, it seems like the pandemic has overwhelmed th- those efforts, and I I haven't heard anything from them. The second thing is, we all know, all all four of us know that one of the worst outcomes of the water crisis is, in addition to all the physical problems that it created for our children, is the lack of trust. The the you know the, the sense of betrayal that the people of Flint have had, um, the paranoia about what government does or doesn't do to us, and I think it, at least in Flint, it's going to take a long, long time for us to get over that. We're going to have to have a lot of evidence that the government acts in our behalf. And I don't want to diminish Henry's point, which is a really great one too. That at a certain point, people have to be responsible to do their duty, like Henry was saying. Uh, but know, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that those committees that were formed, Jan, here and in cities all over the country, to try to uh, you know help help with the PR part of getting the census uh, accomplished. I don't think they knew any more than the government did uh, what to do to get people to do that. And I would just say, <laughs> in conclusion of our little uh, public service announcement here for the census, is that they should have been out telling people this is the one time that you get to be counted as equal by our government. That's great point. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it should have been sold more that way to deal with exactly what you're talking about, Jan, the trust issues, et cetera. Um, oh. I think I got and time I like, to... Go ahead. And I like Henry saying, you know, there's no... There's no po- there is politics in it. We know that there is, but technically there isn't. Technically, this is something you can do where you don't have to say, "Am I a Democrat or Republican or nothing?" You it, it, so you're right. Uh, you're right. They should have sold it that way. It maybe you think but, it's not. And the irony is, there's no alternative. If you don't trust the system, what alternative do you have? You you, um, you 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 got to continue participating in the system to make it better. Right, that's you the struggle we're having right now. I mean, you could burn it down if you want to, you know. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we count people that, that, in, when there's a total lack of trust. That's where things end up. That's a danger. We count people yeah. in hospitals. We count people in classrooms. We count people in drug trials. We count people on election day. But you know how, how to. What's wrong with knowing how many people there are living in this country? 
I know. know. When, they, when, they, when they do the census, they really make an attempt to count everybody. I mean, literally, on at least traditionally, on April 1st, they would go out in the, in the on park benches and homeless shelters to make sure at least those folks got counted. So there was really an attempt on a personal basis for census workers to go out and, and literally count everybody, whether or not they had an address, whether or not they you know lived, slept on a park bench. There, it was never perfect, but an attempt to count literally every person in the country. To our, this, this raises a more general point that I'm feeling considerable grief about right now, which is, I mean, can we no longer say together we are better? I mean, despite all of our differences or including all of our differences, can we not, no longer say together we are better? Hmm. I, I can say that yeah, and I, really believe it. I'm going to ponder on that a little bit as we have to go to break. Um, we have our top of the hour uh, break here before we uh, get into part two, the second hour of Armchair Politics, heard in the second and third hour of the Tom Sumner program every Wednesday here on 92.1 FM or if you're streaming at TomSumnerProgram.com. Uh, we will return with uh, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zajic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 